1903, St. Paul Pius X says, One can plainly see how necessary it is for everyone to cooperate in such an important work as Catholic action, not only for the sanctification of his own soul, but also for the extension and increase of the kingdom of God in individuals, families, and society. Each one working according to his energy for the good of his neighbor, for the propagation of revealed truth, by the exercise of Christian virtues, by the exercise of the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, such is conduct worthy of God, to which St. Paul exhorts us, so as to please him in all things, bringing forth fruits of all good works, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you walk worthily of God and please him in all things, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in his knowledge, in the knowledge of God. Over and above the spiritual and corporal works of mercy, however, there are many goods of the natural order over which the church has no direct mission, although they flow as a natural consequence from her divine mission. Catholic action excludes absolutely nothing which in any way directly or indirectly belongs to the divine mission of the church. You see well what support is given to the church by those chosen bands of Catholic men whose aim is to unite all their forces in order to combat anti-Christian civilization at every just and lawful means, and to repair in every way the grievous disorders which flow from it, to reinstate Jesus Christ in the family, the school, and society, to reestablish the principle of human authority represents that of God, to take imminently into heart the interests of the people, especially those of the working and agricultural classes, not only by the inculcation of religion, the only true source of comfort in the sorrow of life, but also by striving to dry their tears, to soothe their suffering, and by wise measures to improve their economic condition, to endeavor consequently to make public laws comfortable, uh, comfortable I'm sorry, to justice, to amend to, or suppress those which do not. Finally, with a true Catholic spirit to defend and support the rights of God in everything and the no less sacred laws of the church. All these works of which Catholic laymen are the principal supporters and promoters and whose form varies according to the special needs of each nation and the particular circumstances of each country constitute what is generally known by a distinctive and surely very na noble name of Catholic action. That, defined by St. Pius X, is the context of this debate. Catholic action takes many different forms, and tonight we're going to try to find and figure out which method is the best for all of us. We'll start with Mr. Shea, question being, is the church in crisis and how so? Um, of course the church is in crisis. Absolutely the church is in crisis. The church's natural state is crisis. The church was born in crisis. We do, after all, worship a man who was crucified by a kangaroo court on unjust charges uh, and put to death uh, and who confronts us all the time. That's what he does. That's why he was put to death. Now the thing is, crisis in our tradition is good. Crisis is a good thing. That's why the church exists in crisis. Because what Jesus does is he presents, as G.K. Chesterton puts it, a deadly ultimatum to the world. If you think that the goal of our lives as Catholics is to end the crisis, you are like the person who thinks that the goal of river rafting is to escape the river. <laughs> That's not the goal of river rafting. The goal of river rafting is to navigate that river because God has placed us in this river of human history and our goal as Catholics is to get to heaven. We get out of the river when we get to heaven. That's the boat put in, or the takeout. I haven't done too much rafting. Um, our lives as Catholics, therefore, are going to be fraught with crisis. That's part of it, and that is the name of the game for our lives as Catholics. So the question, is the church in crisis? Absolutely the church is in crisis. If you read, for example, Okay, sorry. If you read, for example, here, let me just do this. If you read uh, Newman's essay on the development of Christian doctrine, one of the charming arguments that he offers for the continuity of the church is he says, what occasioned the writings of the New Testament documents? 
Larger occasion the writings of the New Testament documents was the church was in crisis. Paul's going around everywhere putting out pastoral fires. So he writes to the Corinthians and says, stop taking each other to court. Don't sleep with your mother. Uh, stop worshiping angels. No, Jesus is not some demiurge. Uh, stop listening to the Gnostics. What is, what is Paul doing? He's putting out fires. Church is in crisis. The church after the time of the apostles, what's that church doing? That church is busy addressing the question, who is Jesus? Uh, and it's putting out all of these crises in the church by means of seven pastoral councils. The church in the high middle ages, in crisis. The church during the, the, the Protestant Reformation, in crisis. The church today in crisis, says Newman, and therefore that's how we know it's the same church. Is the church in crisis? Absolutely, it wouldn't be the Catholic church if it wasn't. Mr. Boris, is the church in crisis? Uh, certainly the church is in crisis. Um, the Catholic mind, however, makes a distinction between types of things. So to say that the church is in crisis, I mean, we're certainly all going to agree on that, but is every crisis created the same? Of course not. Uh, let me ask you, how many of you in here right now have at least three family members, loved ones, or close friends uh, who were Catholic and no longer practice the faith. <coughs> Take a shot of that. Hold, leave, your, leave your hands up for a second. That is not a crisis like the 12th century crisis. That is not a crisis like 1942. That is not a crisis like 1837. And even if the church is in a crisis, which it is, that doesn't mean that we get to say, oh, well, the church has always been in a crisis and I don't have to do anything about it. You're darn toot and you have to do something about it. And it isn't the point about the crisis, per se, that we do something. I agree with Mark wholeheartedly on that. Anybody who's a good Catholic says, yep, you know, that's right. The church is always in crisis. This is always it. You can go through 2,000 years of history. If the world lasts another 2,000 years, it'll be another 2,000 years of, of crisis. And that's not the issue. But it is our duty in the here and now to fight the circumstances that create the current crisis. And that's it. Let me ask you this. How many of you here uh, know fellow Catholics who go to Mass, sit in Mass either with you or they go to your parish or wherever it is, and those people do not believe everything the church teaches? This is not a crisis like other crises. This is the crisis of our day. That's what matters. I mean, practically every hand in the room has gone up here. For every hand, when I ask the first question, that's three souls at least. Three souls who are no longer connected to Christ in the way that they should be connected to Christ. So we got 500, 600 people here. Practically unanimous, so, and amongst you, there's somewhere around at least 1,800 people represented who no longer are connected with the church in a meaningful fashion. Can they be? Sure, they go back to confession. Will they? Hmm, they're not going to go back to confession when the priest doesn't say anything about confession, when you have to call up for a personal appointment for confession. Who wants to go back to confession? with a personal face-to-face -face appointment when you haven't been around for 20 years and you've been a sleazebag to your wife and your family. Hey, Father, will you stare at me? My little personal 14-minute window for confession you allow once a week? These are crises. And I'll wrap up by saying, show me the last time in the history of the church where three successive popes, uh, starting with Paul VI, for example, said the church is in auto-demolition, self-destruction, John Paul II, soon to be Saint John Paul II, looked out over the vast expanse of Holy Mother Church and said, there is a silent apostasy. And Pope Benedict turned around and said, uh, get rid of the filth in the church. It's going to become much smaller. We may have to go back to the size of a mustard seed. That, I submit to you, is not the usual crisis in the church. And the circumstances that have led us to that must be fought by men. Thank you. not too bad. We have agreement for the first and probably last time this evening there is a crisis in the church. Moving right along now. First of all, I think I want to congratulate both of these gentlemen because I think things may get slightly heated up now, but the fact that these two men are willing to do what so many other people are not willing to do these days, and that's sit down face-to-face, man-to-man, and discuss their differences should be applauded by every single person in this room.
to the resolution. And the resolution officially is, the way to true reform of the church today is prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Since, since Mr. Shea is arguing in the affirmative, he of course will go first, and he has six minutes to make this case. Go ahead, Mr. Shea. Okay. Mike. Right. <laughs> I get this technology stuff down. A um, hundred years ago, the question was put to the great English writer G.K. Chesterton, what's wrong with the world? Chesterton's reply was, I am. That is the reply that every Catholic human being on the face of the earth has to give. Why? Because that's how we start the Mass. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned. I have greatly sinned. Okay, that's where we begin. Because what, by the way, I had a friend of mine say uh, on Facebook the other day, Shay's going to go and he's going to say, what's wrong with the world? I am, Michael Boris will be able to say, at last we agree. <laughs> When we look at the church's approach to crisis, the crisis that the church always exists in, what do we do? We go back to the source. We go back to the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. And Jesus is very clear. What we do, the way we live as Catholics, comes down to what he teaches, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount. What, what are our duties uh, as Christian disciples of Jesus Christ? You don't have to figure it out. Jesus tells you prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. This is what he calls us to do. What do we do to live our lives as Catholics? We live these practices. We live prayer, and that means, of course, primarily it means, or fundamentally it means the Mass, right? I'm not going to get into a fight here about whether or not it's going to be the ordinary or extraordinary form. If the church approves it, that's great. Go to Mass. Because that's where the battle is fought. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving. You know what those are, of course. Those are the practices of the church, especially during Lent. That's when you see the church addressing sin in the church and sin in the world. How do we address it? We address it with these Lenten practices. And when we look at the church, that's what we see the weapon of our warfare is. Paul says that the weapons of our warfare are weapons of the spirit. Now, we deal with a church that is in all kinds of crisis. What Michael had to say, what your raised hands point to, points to the fact that what the church requires is someone to do battle. But here's the thing. We're living in a time of crisis, but we're also living in a time of extraordinary opportunity. And we have to seize those opportunities. We have to look at the, you know, when Paul is writing, he's writing to a church that's really in crisis. Super duper crisis. How much of a crisis? Here's what he says. He's talking about people who are calling him a false apostle because he's not one of the 12. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I have been shipwrecked. A day and a night I have been adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul understands what it means to be in a church where people are falling away. This is not something that's simply our problem today. 
Paul is already dealing with the problem. John will deal with the problem. If anyone denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he is antichrist. Already many antichrists have gone into the world, says John. This is a problem at this time. And yet, the fundamental counsel of Jesus is this to us. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Who has the power to cast me into hell? I have the power to cast me into hell. And so the fundamental counsel of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount on how to address the crisis of the church is Lenten. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving, corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And we live those works of mercy out. One of the ways that we live them out is a way that's shown to us by a guy named Michael Voris, by admonishing the sinner, instructing the ignorant. This is what we do, but not just those. We do all the things. Okay. I will continue my diatribe next time. The resolution, by the way, was the way to true reform of the church today is prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, period. All right, I have the uh, negative in that. That's a tough thing, eh? So what's the other way? Mark wrote it, so I said, sure, what the heck, I'll be a nice guy, do it. You surprised me. <laughs> so, uh, uh, first of all, let me apologize ahead of time. Uh, Matthew, our cameraman here, wave Matthew. Uh, just, uh, we just got, out, got in late last night from Barcelona. It was a 24-hour day, no sleep, so if I'm stammering and stuttering and all that, excuse me, I'll uh, you know, try to say what I can in a coherent way. Um, I'm taking the negative on that, not because of the principles behind it. Everything Mark just said is true. What I'm taking the negative on it for is because it is so vague that it could be interpreted a million different ways. As a matter of fact, it's so vague, it could have been lifted out of one of the Vatican II documents. So. Hey, hey, hey. Cardinal Casper, last month, Cardinal Casper in Rome said compromise formulas were written into those things Bishop Athanasius Schneider, we interviewed him, it's on our website, said the Pope himself has to come out and clarify what these things mean because there are too many competing voices, there's too much confusion, you know, we need clarity. So, hey, if they're saying, I'm just repeating what they're saying, so, you know. But yeah, it's a little vague, don't you think? What exactly, how do you apply when the church is in this crisis, how do you apply, for example, the spiritual works of mercy? What do you interpret the spiritual works of mercy to be, and how do they fit this situation? Every generation of Catholics has had to ask these questions, every single one. So we're faced with this crisis. Did any of you happen to see that uh, just yesterday, or whatever day it is here in America versus Europe, uh, a majority, according to a Compagnac poll, a majority of mass weekly mass attending Catholics, not just the bunch that CBS News usually interviews, 85% of them don't believe anything in the faith anymore. A majority of mass, weekly mass attending Catholics now support same-sex marriage and women's ordination. Those are heresies. That's a majority of the people sitting in mass next to you on Sunday. This isn't like the guy who just you know, left the church and he was in college and never came back and shacked up with a girlfriend. No, we're talking about the people sitting in mass next to you. Over half of them believe heresies. So what do we do about that? Well, you got to say it, first of all, right? you got to say that. you got to say, here's what the case is. It's wrong that this is the case. Your position is wrong. And you have to explain why the position is wrong. And, and my background, as many of you know, is investigative journalism. I was an investigative reporter in TV news for over 20 years. That's what I did. You know, maybe my stuff that we do isn't everybody's cup of tea. All right, well, so it's not everybody's cup of tea. You know, go somewhere else and watch something. Or go start your own TV apostolate or do whatever you want to do. But 
My cup of tea, because it's what I was trained in, was to go find out causes of things. When you see, when you watch a regular newscast, you know, you say, oh, this happened, building caught on fire, big huge accident, you know, shootout, gangland shooting, and that's it. The investigative unit, my background, would go and spend weeks investigating why these things happened. We wouldn't just report what, we would explain why. And that's where churchmilton.tv does its thing. We do that, it's not the only thing we do, but that's part of what we do. So now onto the question of vagueness, the other reason that I'm opposing uh, this, taking the negative on it, again, not the principles behind it, but as it is worded, it is simply too vague. And uh, I would venture to say that uh, not only is it too vague, but the uh, person holding the affirmative here, Mark, doesn't even follow it himself. Where do I know that from? Well, uh, we have an example here of the corporal works of mercy, spiritual works of mercy, pardon me. And in the spiritual works of mercy, as Mark rightly identified, two of them are admonish the sinner and instruct the ignorant. Mark posted something about a year ago on his blog that really kicked up a fuss, huge fuss. And I'm not saying what he did was right or wrong. Who am I to judge? I'm saying... <laughs> yeah. I'm saying that many people would look at what Mark wrote. I'm going to read you a little clip of it real shortly here. Mark, many people would look at what Mark wrote and said, wow, how can he say that? That's crazy. Now Mark may say, hey, you know what? This is, I'm going along here with the works of mercy. You know, I, da, da, da. So here's the, just to set it up real quickly, and you can't get into much detail of all this because of the short time things, but Mark knew a gentleman, God rest his soul, Perry Lorenzo, uh, who uh, was, a, according to Mark's blog, was a gay man. And let me just read you what, uh, who passed away, which was the cause of uh, Mark's blog. Uh, he says, Mrs. Mark's blog, quote, one of the people I admire most in the world who I regard as an inspiration and, quote, very likely as a saint was a gay guy who lived here in Seattle named Perry. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get something of a sense of the man from his blog. Dunno if he was celibate or not, and frankly, regard it as none of my business. He apparently had a partner he lived with. If memory serves, I expressed to my reader a deep lack of interest in that fact since A, not my business, and B, merely living with this partner is not proof of anything anyway. So, uh, at the time Mark wrote that, it was unclear whether he was living with this guy and having sex with him, whether he was living with a guy at all. It's not the point of the facts that came out after the case, it's at that time, here he was. Some priests jumped on Mark's blog and took him to task for it. Again, I'm not judging whether what he what said was right or not, but if you're gonna sit here and say, you know, we have this great big huge expanse of being able to talk about what the corporal and spiritual works of mercy are, which from the statement, remember that's what the debate is, is that statement right or not? If you're gonna say, well, this is okay, then you can't turn, because it fits within this huge wide parameter, you can't turn around and say someone else saying, hey, you know, I think that you had a responsibility to go up to that guy and say something. Isn't that admonishing the sinner? Isn't that instructing the ignorant? So this is my point, this is the problem with the statement as it stands. Mark clearly thought to just say, this is none of my business, was the appropriate thing to do. He had it right there in writing. Other people would say, mm, you know what? You have a duty to go to that guy and say, hey, you know, just wanna know, I'm concerned about your soul. And I don't know if you are or not. As you said in your blog, I don't know if he was or not, but not my business. See, many people are gonna say in the church, ah, you know what, it is your business. It is your business. And move it out of the politically charged arena of homosexuality and just say, hey, if you had a friend at work or someone in your family and he was saying, ah, you know, I live with, my, I live with this girl and just left it at that, would you, you know, where would you be with that? What if it's your son who says that, gay or straight? Do you think that the appropriate response is not my business? I don't know, you know, again, what we're debating here is the point, is the resolution. And for us to say the only true way to reform is, uh, you know, is uh, 
you know, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, that thing's so big, so wide, the Titanic can float by it and not scratch either side. <laughs> so the resolution as it stands and is stated is wrong. Do I reply here? Okay. Very quickly, the reason you can't admonish that sinner is because he's dead. <laughs> I, did not, I did not know that Perry Lorenzo... You don't canonize him. I did not know that, that uh, Perry Lorenzo was gay. Why? Because he was a devout Catholic who lived his faith as well as any Catholic I have ever met. The, when I say that I don't know whether, and it turns out actually, I do know now, uh, he did in fact, he was celibate. Uh, he lived according to the teaching of the church, complete celibacy because he believed the teaching of the church. The reason that I said I don't know is because I don't know. You know what? I have no idea what Michael Voris's sex life is like, and I don't... Boring. I'm not, I'm not... I'm not interested. Not my business. Who are you guys sleeping with? Not my business, right? What I knew about this man was what I knew of him when he was alive. I did not know he was gay until after his death. And my commentary, all of that commentary, was on my experience of him as a living human being. I never confronted him about being gay because I didn't know he was gay. Why? Because he lived a fine Catholic life. And this really brings me to what I'm talking about here. Because Jesus gives us counsel on how we're supposed to deal with sin in the church. So if, for example, I have an issue with, let's say, Carl Keating's income. What I'm supposed to do, if I think that that income is excessive, and I haven't established that, what I do is I go to him and I say, I think your income is excessive. I go to Jimmy Aiken, I go to Al Cresta, I go to all these people. If I think that their income is excessive, and I go to them privately and I say, here's the problem. If they listen, you have won over your brother, says Jesus. If they don't listen, and first of all, we have to establish that there was a problem, then you go with two or three people. Or in this case, you come to me privately and you say, I think you're out of line here. That doesn't happen. Instead, what happens, and this is a real problem, is that the church is ignored here. And so we get public statements in which it is suggested, not said, but suggested, that somebody like an Al Cresta is making too much money and they're doing it because they're in the pockets of the Church of Nice. And then, when people take that suggestion, the response is, you can't say that. You can't, don't understand me to be implying what I was clearly implying. That is not the way that we heal the church. It is not. So. In a debate like this is structured, I know for a fact that Mr. Boris has a retort to that, but we just can't rely on that right now. So, and I'm sure, sure Mark feels the same way at the end of each segment. Each, these guys are going to have the opportunity at the round table to re revisit some of these okay. things. So we're going to move yeah. on to the next question, which is to Mr. Boris. The motto of church militant is, Christians are born for combat. I think I'm correct in that. This is from Leo XIII's great encyclical on Christians as citizens, Sapiense Christiane. And yet our Lord himself says in Matthew 17 that some evil spirits, quote, can go out by nothing but by prayer and fasting, end quote. If the bride of Christ is so beset by an evil spirit today that even the successors of the apostles seem unable to exercise it, thus the crisis, does this not suggest that prayer and fasting are, in fact, the only course of action for us as Catholic laymen? You have uh, five minutes, Mike. Five minutes, thank you. Uh, it does not suggest that that is the only course of action because if it was, our Lord wouldn't have commanded his apostles to go out and baptize the whole world. So is it a course of action? Certainly. Is it the course of action in some circumstances? As our Lord pointed out in that particular case, was a case of possession. Was it? Sure, absolutely. 
apostles are all confused. Hey, we're praying. Nothing's happening. Our Lord says, well, some of these guys are so tough, meaning the demons, you have to do more than pray. You have to actually fast, which, by the way, is an action. Um, but uh, uh, not a rebuttal, but a continuing response in this vein uh, is that um, in the course of, oh, say, personal attacks, uh, I would like to bring up here, and I agree with you, I think you should go to people and say things. Uh, mm -hmm. I have gone to many of those people and said things um, privately. Uh, however, unless the staff at churchmilton.tv headquarters is very slow and doesn't know to like put through your emails to me and to put through your phone calls and your telegrams and your text messages and everything else, I have never once, me personally, heard from you about anything. However, yeah, actually, you, I did. I emailed you. And I emailed Simon Rafe because I didn't have your email address. And you didn't reply. I didn't reply because I wasn't in the country. <laughs> I wasn't in the country. I, I told Simon when he relayed that to me, I told him to invite you on the show, Roman Forum, and you declined. I live in so, Seattle. <laughs> So, I can't afford a flight out to Michigan. Right, finish, finish your point there, there Mike, and then, <laughs> then Mark has three minutes after that. What do I have, five? You've got, uh, yeah, you've got okay. five. So, to the, to the point... <laughs> it's just a cage match after all. <laughs> to the point of going to somebody and saying something, from one of our supporters, I got a multi-page thing here on the various things that Mark has said about me in the last two years, personally. You have written, at least by this viewer's count, and they were all attached, 17 articles about me personally. That's pretty cool. Thank you. Um, and I do have to say, every time you write one, our subscribers go up. So I actually want to hire you. Um, Don't mention it. Not you You personally. have made dozens and dozens of other references in articles not specifically about me. And you have made... By this viewer's count, over a hundred comments about me and other combox things. So I don't know if you got like a little, you know, crush going on here or not. But, uh, uh, however, I've never mentioned your name once up until two years ago. I right. didn't know who you were. Right. And that is an insult. That isn't meant as an insult. That's meant as I just didn't know who you are. That's I've got right. a staff of 20 people. I'm surprised anybody knows who I am. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing to remember here, folks, when, we're talk when I'm talking about these big-name Catholic media stuff, I'm not talking about us. I'm not talking about Mark. We're not big-name anything. Seriously. You're talking about me, right? You. <laughs> so. Right. But in the course of these various things, see, this is the problem I have with the statement, and that's what the debate is about, about the veracity of that statement. To say it's the only way, well, you know, you start talking about corporal and spiritual works of mercy. How exactly is the, are the spiritual works of mercy fulfilled by you calling me, and anybody who wants to see it can come up here, stupid, multiple times, a scoundrel, illiterate in theology, poisonous, a Jew hater, a demagogue. No, that's not true. You said I was mainstreaming Jew hatred. I presume if I'm mainstreaming something, I support it. Anyway, if you, if got, you, you got your chance, an interview you with got e. your Michael chance, Jones you got without mentioning his anti-Semitism. I did not do it. I asked him point blank. I said, excuse me, Michael Jones, everybody says you're a Jew hater, you're an anti-Semite. Answer it, he answered it. It's my satisfaction. I moved on. <laughs> so then, okay, so all of those things happen to be, what do I have, five minutes? Yeah, you've got uh, one minute uh, left. All right. He's got him in the corner of the cage. I said, uh, all of those things, hey, look, you can call somebody stupid. That's kind of subjective, blah, 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 blah. But there is one thing, in fact, that you have persisted in pushing, and it is the lie that I was disobedient to my archbishop in Detroit. First of all, you don't know all the facts of that. You do, however, know all the facts of it after you keep saying this because you got an email from a fellow who laid out all the facts all the facts to you. Yeah, I've got it right here. And you responded and you said in that email, I got 15 seconds, you said in that email, uh, I don't care about the inner workings of churchmilitant.tv. Yeah, that was the very thing you were taking us to task for. You found out the facts and even today you still say that I'm disobedient to the Archbishop. No, you finally changed the name of your apostle. That is not apostle. mine. You know that's not true. You know that's not true. You changed the name of your apostle. You that's, finally. You, you know finally the reason why we changed the name was not why you keep pretending to everybody it was. And if you want to continue in this vein, I'll be happy to see you I don't you know that minutes. that's the reason. 
as luck would have it, we're at five okay. minutes. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> Okay. okay. My objection is really is very simple. Throw them in the turf bubble. Say what? Throw them in the turf My objection, what I really would like to do is keep this uh, on the discussion here. This is the discussion. Well, the discussion is the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And Which these are not. fasting and almsgiving. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving and the corporal spirit and spiritual works of mercy are what we're talking about. They're not vague. I'm sorry, but they're not. We have an entire tradition of the church behind this. Now, I have objected to some of the things that Michael Boris has said and done. So, for example, um, as I mentioned earlier, setting up a video in which the very clear message of the video is... Carl Keating, Jimmy Aiken, Al Cresta, uh, who else? Uh, Raymond Arroyo, uh, uh, Doug Keck, Michael Warsaw are money-grubbing whores and gutless cowards in the pay of a corrupt church. That was the point of that video. Was and not. that was exactly what everybody heard. Well, not and which is why he had to come out with another video saying that's not what I was saying. That's what people heard. Why did people hear that? You said at the beginning, now I'm not gonna you know, I'm not going to attack Mark, which of course, what are you doing? Of course you're attacking me. Attacking what you said. Right, and I'm attacking what you said. Amen, not brother. Not you. Amen. Not you. Amen. Okay? I don't know, Michael Boris. What I respond to is what is said. So when a video comes out that says, you know, Priscillianist heretics took communion in the hand, now, I'm not saying that people who take communion in the hand are heretics or anything. Come on. I mean, this is, this is classic Nixon kind of stuff, right? Every Democratic administration was in charge when a war broke out. Now, I'm not calling the Democrats the war party. Yes, you are. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. When Jesus talks about attacking sin in the church, and we have to attack sin in the church, he says, be very specific. So, cloudy attacks on the bishops, the Church of Nice, the, and by the way, I'm a professional Catholic. Buy my stuff, it's right over there in the corner. <laughs> very important. Buy Michael's stuff, too, because, you know, he's a professional Catholic, too. What do we do? We write about the faith, we talk about the faith. We, and yes, we make a living trying to do that. And by the way, if you think you're gonna get rich off of this, man, think another thing. What do we need to do? We have to keep the focus on Jesus. What we've heard tonight is a huge amount of negativity. Here's what's wrong with the church. This church sucks. That's what we're hearing. There's all kinds of problems with the church. Okay, great. But what do we do about it? If we say, as Michael is saying, that the corporal and spiritual works of mercy are too, it's, nobody even knows what that means. Really? Because we've got this vast tradition of the church that talks about what it means. I've written a book that talks about what it means, and I didn't have to make any of that stuff up. I just went out and found it because it's just laying there. So if we're not sure what the corporal and spiritual works of mercy mean, and our concern is that people are not catechized in the faith? What do we do? We catechize people about what the corporal and spiritual works of mercy are. That's what we do. If we simply... Just, just, you, oh, you've yeah. gone over your rebuttal? Oh, I have. I'm wait, sorry. Wait, no, no. If you want to go on, you're, you're, you can do the affirmative of the question if you want to. You can do what you're doing. What now is the affirmative just, of the question? Just so, just so you know, you've got, you've got a few more minutes, but, but okay. you're three minutes. I want to talk about how much the church sucks for a minute, okay? <laughs> because that's what we're hearing. We're hearing there's just nothing but problems in the church. The church is, is terrible. <laughs> in the last century, since the time that Chesterton was asked that question, do you know how much the church has grown globally? It has grown 7,000%. 7,000% globally. That's how the, the church's problems today in the, in the third world are the problems of enormous success. We don't know what we're gonna do 
to pastor all these people. Where are we going to get the priests from? Where are we going to get all these people? Well, fortunately, in places like Africa, we're seeing a colossal growth in vocations. That's great news. What can we be doing as Americans? I get emails all the time from people in Africa saying, we look to you guys for the support that we need. Where, do they, where are they getting all those, all those resources that they use to catechize their own people? They get it from us. Because, believe it or not, compared to much of the rest of the world, things are fantastic here. Things are fantastic here. Do we face huge challenges? Every hand that went up tonight shows that we face huge, huge challenges. But how many people here are converts or no converts? Yeah, that's the other side of the coin. We got people coming into the church too, as well as leaving the church. And we have got right now a pope who is leading us in mission in the world. He is telling us how to do it. We've got a tremendous gift. How much do I have? Am I done? Yep. Okay. I'm done with my six minutes. I'll be back. Thanks. Well, I'm not even sure what the point of that was. The church has grown 7,000%, yet 85, I mean, that's like counting, I, I, wish, I wish my bank counted growth in an account the way the church leadership counts growth. You count everything going in, all the deposits, but you never count any of the withdrawals. There are 4,100,000 on the books Catholics in the Netherlands, for example. 4,100,000. Nice number. It's about 25% of the population of Holland. And yet, of the 4,100,000 Catholics, do you know how many there don't go to Mass? 4 million. Wow. 4.1 million Catholics on the books, part of that 7,000% growth, and yet, 7,000% growth, and the only, you have to go to the right of the decimal point to find how many Catholics are actually going. I sat and had lunch with one of the auxiliary bishops of Utrecht when I was over there in May, and he said of that, he's the one who gave me that number. They're greatly distressed. And he said, at the end of that, he said, and of that 100,000, the vast majority of them are beyond their 70s. So what happens in 10 years when most, people are, most of those people are dead? What's left of the church? Mm -hmm. So to just throw out a number, again, here's the headline, but below it, when you start digging, and that's investigative, you're like, hmm, this isn't really that true. See, the point of the number of people coming into church, for every one person coming into the church, four leave, again, I want to know how that math works in my bank account. So every time, it's just not right. It's not, a, it's not a full realistic exposition of what the condition of the church is today. I was in Nigeria, went over there and spoke to a number of priests and they said huge numbers, huge numbers of the seminarians that are in the seminaries there are there to escape poverty. That's why they're there. They try to weed these guys out, but that's their problem. So you can't talk about, oh, look at all the great numbers, and then say, you want a great number? In the last 20 years in the United States, 20 years ago we had 20,000 parishes. Today we have 2,000 less parishes. 2,000 less parishes. I got three minutes, all right? 2,000 less. In the first 10 years, 20 years ago to 11 years ago, 700 closed. In the last 10 years, 1,300 closed. <laughs> Diocese after diocese, shutting down parishes left and right. This isn't just some little bitty, you know, Hungarian parish in the middle of nowhere. This is across the board. Detroit is closing 60 worship sites. My archdiocese, 60 worship. They just closed 37 years ago. Diocese after diocese. So to talk about numbers without actually taking it and looking at it with a very intelligent point of view of, well, what do these really say is pointless. I mean, numbers can make numbers say anything you want. Our second and last question before closing arguments, and this goes to Mr. Shea. St. Joan, two, is it too close? 
Yeah, you know what? How long is it going to take? Here, here's what we'll do. If, you get, if these gentlemen will agree, I think we should just let them tell each other what, what the other one's doing wrong. Because I, I'm feeling that they're both, they're both very day. active apologists. And so what is the problem? Yeah, maybe Mr. Shea can go first. And let's just have this out. This is a cage match. Closing so arguments. Right. Yeah, okay. Who? Me first? Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. All right. How much time do we have total? Okay, so the, the question is just basically what is the major fundamental principle difference between these two guys? They're both fighting for the Catholic Church. The question is they're not agreeing on how to do it. Let's see right. if we can resolve how they believe each other should, should reform in order to be more effective or stop doing what they're doing and be more effective. How much time? We'll do five minutes each on that. Okay. All right, three minutes. Everybody's hungry. Wait, what? <laughs> What? I could just talk and talk. <laughs> okay, three minutes. All right. Uh, at, the, at the end of the day, I think that what we've, we're looking at are, are two very different visions of the church and two very different visions of what reform means. What I've heard Michael do uh, throughout this is talk about what's wrong and give no sense of what to do. I have actually proposed something, and I've not only proposed something, I've proposed something straight out of the New Testament and out of the tradition of the church. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving, corporal and spiritual works of mercy. If you're unclear what corporal and spiritual works of mercy are, go get my book, The Work of Mercy, because it will tell you tons of things that you can do. What we're looking at is a vision of the church, and by the way, we're seeing it play out right now. I'm seeing it play out right now all over the conservative Catholic blogosphere, and I am a conservative Catholic, believe it or not. Whoa. If you ask me what I believe, I will tell you I believe all that the Holy Catholic Church believes, teaches, and proclaims is revealed by God. And if you don't believe that, tough. Because I do. Now, here's the thing. What I'm watching, though, is all over the conservative Catholic blogosphere, people are stealing themselves to face the greatest threat the church has yet faced in our lifetime. The Holy Father. That's how they're talking about it. Well, how do we deal with him? What's he doing? I'll tell you what the Holy Father is doing. What we have is a vision of the church, one vision of the church that says we have to draw sharp lines to keep out the Catholics in name only. We have to do something about those people who are poisoning the church. And what Francis is doing is he's crossing those lines. He doesn't care about the lines because his instinct, as a, he's 100% pastor, that's how the guy thinks, is go out into the highways and the byways, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the blind include the spiritually blind. It includes all those people who don't really get most of what the church is talking about, he gets the parable of the prodigal son. You know, in the parable of the prodigal son, exactly what you don't get from the prodigal son is a guy who says, I have sinned against heaven. What you get in the parable of the prodigal son is a guy who says, how many of my father's workers have a lot more to eat than I do? I will say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. That's, the, that's his epic repentance, and it's good enough for the Father. What we need to be doing as Catholic men is going out into the highways and byways and bringing in the poor, the naked, the blind, the crippled, the lame, all of those people, including especially the spiritually crippled, in which our civilization is packed. That's what we're called to do. We have our marching orders, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, corporal and spiritual works of mercy. It's not complicated. We can do it. Three minutes on? Three minutes. Yep, three minutes. Okay. Uh, certainly agree with all that. Again, since we're talking about style, I think one way to not, uh, to not do that is to con continue to attack your fellow brothers in Christ who say, we're going to do it this way. I'll give you for an example. You have said the people who listen to churchmilitant.tv are, these are your words again, self-congratulating, flying monkeys, a nucleus of Pharisees, a cult, utterly undiscerning, and, my favorite, weenies. <laughs> now, let me ask you, 
How many of you here are familiar with our work on the internet and generally, you know, for the most part, kind of tend to agree with it? Okay, now, I would say there's an entire audience that, forget me, you've called them weenies. <laughs> you've called them flying monkeys. No, I haven't, actually. Yeah, you have. You no, said I the people not. who follow what Michael Voris says are utterly undiscerning. Anyway, it's my time. So, uh, you know, without, without a computer screen in front of you, it might be nice for you to, you know, find out, hey, why are you, I called you a weenie, sorry. Um, I don't think those kinds of things fall under the definition of the corporal or spiritual works of mercy. That's okay. my point. Okay. And you go on for pages and pages and blog after blog saying all these kinds of things. You have insulted people who have called me or emailed me and said, I can't believe what he just said about me. So do we have competing visions of the church? You're darn, you're darn straight we do. To walk around, you know, I would suggest to you, because that was the question, what would we do to each other? I say for you to generally ignore all of these things that are going on in the church. I think that's a big problem. I'll give you a viewer email right here who said, we get 10 of these a week. He said, um, uh, thank you for all your hard work in compiling and analyzing the statistics that you did this, this past week on dispatches from the front lines. I am a convert of only three years, and I have found that the Catholic Church that I learned about in RCIA is difficult to find. I see Catholic culture, but the authentic faith seems evasive in this church. All right, that soul needs paying attention to. So you can say nice things like, oh, let's go out and go to the byways, and this, but that has to have a practical reality. Sure. This man and his family, we get these every day right. by the scores. These people are hurting. How many of you here are upset that your families, members, your loved ones don't go to Mass anymore, heck, have walked away from the church and disregarded? You're concerned about their souls. Sure. Of course we're concerned about their souls. So you know what? They need a context in which to understand what the hell happened to the church? What happened? Now, if our apostolate wants to provide that, then I think that we should go ahead and be a, a source. I say every talk I go to, if you don't like it, I said it in this one. If you don't like it, it's not our cup of tea, fine, move on. But when you and others that support you say those kinds of things about people that support us and us, I'm saying you don't follow your own statement here about the corporal spiritual works of mercy. It isn't spiritual. It isn't Christ-like. It isn't going out to the highways and byways when you call someone a weenie. Whoa. 